Good morning, print hustlers. This is Bruce from Printavo, Simple Shop Management Software. Today we've got a very special guest, Tom Davenport from Motion Textile, founder of Motion Textile, recently sold Motion Textile, which we're talking about, but I want you to tell this story and kind of get into everything. We've got so much to talk about, but Tom, thanks so much for being able to join us. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, having me on the podcast. Uh, great to be here. Definitely. Thank you. Uh, and you're in uh, California? In California. In, in uh, beautiful, rainy Northern California. It's been, uh, <laughs> it's been stormy. In fact, you know what? I took a, uh, just recently, uh, last week, attended the ThreadX conference down in San Diego. Yeah. And uh, took a couple days for vacation with the family, and we were expecting to get some sunshine, but it was brutally cold and rainy down in San Diego. Really? the week it was it was a, a little bit of a bummer but yeah holy cow california has not been sunny california lately <laughs> yeah that's interesting yeah i saw maybe it was a week or two weeks ago but hawaii even had snow so wow yeah that was a bit surprising but so first of all motion textile tell us about how you started motion textile when you started it how you got into it all i just want to get the beginning first yeah so I, I really started in this industry at the ripe old age of 17 years old, and I had Hestered, one of my best friends, a guy who's, who is still one of my very best friends. We've known each other you know, for 20-something years, mm-hmm. and uh, he was working at a screen printing shop, and he was you know, kind of a, a guy I looked up to as, a, as an elder skate punk. <laughs> and uh, you know, it was like, I want to work at the print shop with you so, uh, so we can, you know, print band tees and, uh, you know, do all sorts of fun stuff, which is really kind of not necessarily what working in a commercial print shop is all about, <laughs> as I found out. But yeah. um, anyway, uh, pestered him. Uh, he finally got his boss to uh, to interview me and I uh, got a job working there as a screen cleaner at, uh, like I said, 17 years old. So that was my start in screen printing. Worked my way up to the manual printing press pretty quickly. That was the start of my career here. That was 1996. Okay. So uh, quite a long time ago. From there, you know, it's interesting. I actually moved from, that was in Sacramento. I moved from Sacramento uh, back to the East Bay area, uh, to Oakland, uh, where I had lived previously. I lived in the East Bay prior to uh, my, my move to Sacramento. Mm-hmm. And um, I had the opportunity to work at a handful of print shops there, and so got a lot of experience. Ultimately, ended up working at Cinderblock, which was a huge music merchandising company in the 80s and 90s. Um, went from very, very small mom and pop operation to being, you know, 50 plus million dollar company um, into the 2000s. So I had a very brief, uh, you know, one year uh, tenure there, but got a lot of experience um, in in a higher production facility, you know, kind of being part of that world that I wanted to be part of um, music merchandising, punk indie bands. Um, so a lot of fun stuff. I was able to kind of take that experience, move back to Sacramento where uh, I worked for the original screen print shop that I was hired at through my friend. Um, but it was at new, it was under new ownership at that time. The new owner of the company, I think I got my best experience as an employee working for him, and it was because he really did everything the wrong way. So <laughs> it was like when when I eventually started my own business, it was like, I made every decision thinking, like, what would he do? I'm going to do the opposite of that. Sure, sure. 
No, those are good. Those are great lessons. Like, yeah, no, was it was it managing people too, and and like the whole gamut, or just yeah. production side? Or yeah, um, yeah. You know, I think what I took out of that more than anything was he was. You know, things were very lopsided. So he had more people working in the office than in the production facility, uh, in the print shop. You know, in a very very small business, like you know, you're managing your resources is everything. And you know, he was he was putting all of his investment into personnel in the office who were really not very efficient or effective. And it was like, you know, three or four of us work in the print shop and it was just completely lopsided. So I took, you know, that's just one example, but I took, you know, a a lot of experiences that I had working for this poor guy (laughs) and, um, and really, you know, took that to heart as I was starting and growing my own company. That's interesting. What what did you take away uh, from when you went to the very high volume shop? What was a big takeaway from that experience right because you were at a much smaller operation than how to a significantly larger one mm-hmm. were there any eye-opening experiences there one of my first jobs when i was in oakland was at a so this is right before i went to Cinderblock. was at a print shop that had been in business for years and they really did you know very large volume for me you know very large volume orders so they were doing orders of 10 20, 50, 100,000 pieces. And that was shocking to me just to see that much product coming in the door and to um, sit on a press. That was actually my first experience working on an automatic press. And it was an old precision oval press, total dinosaur. It was it was a dinosaur back then. Could be in, in an antique uh, environment now, I guess. Yeah. Stop now. But to sit there and load shirts or unload shirts on a press, the same exact design for days on end was, that was shocking to me. Um, I didn't enjoy that so much. <laughs> yeah, It was a great experience. And um, I think that that, you know, having that type of experience working on projects like that, which we have handled, we've done a, a lot of at Motion Textile over the years, some large, you know, 50,000 plus piece orders, you understand then what your production employees are dealing with, right? So to have lived it yourself, you have um, a certain amount of understanding and empathy for them. Sure. You also, you also need, you, you know how to call bullshit when they're <laughs> uh, coming up with certain issues that, that you know are, are nonsense. Um, sure. So you can empathize with them. You can also put them in their place at the same time. That was an eye-opening experience, um, valuable experience, and I've, you know, I use it to this day. I'm able to leverage that experience. Interesting. That's very cool. Now, now you, you get into motion textile. Mm-hmm. You know, did you buy the business you were working in then, or did you go out and buy some used equipment or new equipment, or so, how did that get started? Um, so no, I, I actually started buying um, some equipment while I was working at that company, mm-hmm. um, with no plans of like starting a legitimate print shop. It was like I wanted to have like sort of like an art studio print shop, you know, and I was going to bootleg T-shirts and just do fun stuff in the evenings. And while I was in the process of doing that, literally we, you know, showed up for work one day and the doors were locked. It was like, we're done, right? And so I had purchased a manual press and um, I had purchased a small exposure unit and a little black body dryer and like, you know, a, a few pieces of equipment here and there pieced it together and found a little hole in the wall type of um, warehouse, a thousand square feet. And it was like, this was going to be where I would do my fun stuff. From that day on, it was like, oh, shit, I need to start a real business here, you know? And so um, 
yet, like I said, doors shut. Because I was the production manager at that very small print shop, I had um, interactions with a lot of the customers. Mm-hmm. And a handful of the customers reached out to me and said, what do we do? And I said, uh, I might be able to help you. I've got a little press. Wait, so, I... so the owner just disappeared? Like it was... Yeah, it disappeared. I think I only saw him one time after that. Wow. Uh, dealt with his, his wife. Like his wife handled... Um, payroll and the books there and she was like really amazing and sweet i felt horrible for her she cut us our last checks we went to lunch and then that was it i never saw them again yeah so that, that was the end so of you were kind of almost forced into it right because like i mean you need some income coming in too and it i mean what, what were you yeah, thinking about at that time i was like <clears throat> i was 20 20 years old at the time uh-huh. so um it's a really really there there's a lot of um positives and a lot of negatives to starting a business when you're that young you know the positive is like you don't really need a lot of money um, mm-hmm. and you don't have much to to risk right sure uh, you're not worried about losing your life savings or anything like that because you have virtually no savings I put all I think I had three thousand dollars of savings and I put that into the business um, into starting the business and my parents were good enough to um, let me use their credit cards. <laughs> so they trusted me enough to use their credit cards. That's, you know, the positive side. The negative side is that you have no experience. You know, you, you have experience, um, uh, a little bit of experience doing the trade, right? But you have, like, no experience um, running a business and you're learning everything. And, like, that first, you know, five years is just brutal. That's mm-hmm. really- of learning how to run a business, how to, right. you know, you're, you're learning, <laughs> you're learning life, you know, uh, it's, it's amazing, um, how ugly and brutal it is, but it's like, you know, you're, you're also kind of building a business at the same time. Um, and you are, you know, um, yeah, I mean, within a few years I was getting paid and, you know, I actually had like a decent salary. So what do you feel like you would have done if you were to go back to when you were 2021 20, and just starting out the shop again, what would you tell yourself? to kind of skip some of the pain, right? Yeah. Um, that you know now. I think I would have had more direction on who we wanted to be as a company. Um, I knew what I wanted the company to look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I knew like basically like where we are now, the, the printing facility, uh, production facility that we have now, I kind of always had that in my head, right? Which is like, it's, you know, you were to, come over to, over to Motion Textile, it's like this beautiful state-of-the-art shop. We have 50,000 square feet. Um, it's it's an amazing facility. I always kind of had that in my head, like that's where we were gonna be someday. I'm not the best planner, but I'm pretty good at you know being goal-oriented. So I had a goal of like what I wanted the company to look like. But as far as like whom, you know, like understanding like your target market and like how you're going to acquire that, you know, your, your customers within that space, um, or you know, your markets, um, which I'm a believer in. That is something I wish I knew. It was like, I just went and it was like, we're gonna work with everybody. You know? Sure. Everybody sure. and everybody because you're desperate, right? Having a little more vision there, clarity of vision rather, on you know which market or markets are going to, going to be best or which types of customers are gonna be best for your business mm-hmm. um, and really taking your time and focusing on that. I wish I had done that earlier on and I, I would recommend that to anybody. The business plan has always been up here. Um, and you, I, I think that there's a lot to be said for writing out a, um, a comprehensive business plan. I've never done that. It's always been up here. It's always been kind of changing and evolving. But really, actually, like zeroing in on your target market, I think, is like 
would have been beneficial for me to do even at, at that, you know, when I was 20 years old with that one little manual printing press. So even saying, so, hey, we're going to go after musicians or we're going to go after teams, like like that specific, you're saying? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So establish, I mean, you know, most, most people are going to have, um, you know, a few different target markets that they're serving, right? It's mm-hmm. pretty, it's probably not the best thing to, to be all in on, you know, on music merchandising, right? Because uh, we saw a lot of, a lot of shops go under that way. Um, we've always been pretty diversified. Um, uh, even at, even as a more mature company, we've, we've maintained a certain level of diversification and that worked really well. We grew in the uh, economic, uh, what do they call it now? What do they call it in 2008? What is it? Is it the uh, recession? recession? Yeah. Yeah. We, we grew during that period, and that's you know kind of the, one of the cool things that you can do as a tiny little small business that is nimble. We were able to to grow, but it, that was because of our diversification. That's mostly. interesting. I actually kind of want to dive into that quickly. So, recession '07, call it through 2009 and 10. You talk about growing through that. First, what size of a company were you at that period? You know, people, revenues wise. We were, oh gosh, like in 2008, I want to say we did like a million and a half, mm-hmm. right? And I'm trying to think how many people we had at the time. I don't know. We probably had, you know, 15 to 20 people. At the Got time. it. And when I say a million and a half, that's like, that's service, right? So that's pure service. We're not selling printed t-shirts we're not selling a finished product we're creating producing a finished product but we're just selling our print our printing and our finishing services got it right? and, and so, so that's that that is actually i mean if you're any contract pure contract print shop that's doing over a million dollars a year i have respect for because it's tough to do that you know just to maintain that that type of revenue um on on doing pure printing is you know print pure service rather it's very, very difficult. Were you always very contract focused or did you fall into it? No, no. So that was, that was like a decision that we had to make I think around 2006, okay. 2006. And there's a lot of thoughts about like, you know, if you're going to be doing both custom work and contract work, is that a major conflict of interest? You can make an argument for that and against that. So I don't even want to get into that. Uh, mm-hmm. I've had thought it over the years and I think that my thoughts have actually kind of evolved on it um, because the market has changed so much. For us, it was just purely like, again, limited resources, right? You're a very, very small company. Are you gonna be a sales sales house or are you gonna be a production house, right? And it made sense to me at that time to say, we can be pretty good at both, right? But we could be really, really good at one. And um, that was where we started, you know, as a printer myself, we were, you know, production focused, technique focused, etc. Let's just be really, really good at being a great print shop and being able to provide our printing services at a higher and higher volume. Um, and you know, and then obviously all the ancillary services, like I said, trims, finishing, packaging, etc. Gotcha. So, and that's what that's what pushed you to be more contract focused back in 06 yeah, or so. We literally, I mean, we always kind of maintain some of our you know core group of early customers where we had a direct relationship with with them. But I mean very, very small uh, amount of, of the overall revenue. And we actually started like referring, you know, calls that would come in for new business. We started referring them to our customers, which actually really served us well. Re- referring direct business to our customers and, and then doing the print work for them, it was like that, that did a lot for us for the relationships that we were forming with our customers at the time. 
I'm, uh, I'm going off on a tangent here, but this is interesting as I see similar questions on, on the Facebook groups and everything of if you're just getting going in contract, where do people find customers? Was there something that you guys did early on to help gain that initial traction? Um, well, I mean, so there's there's kind of like these these various segments that we have always serviced and we still do to this day. Promotional marketing companies is huge, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so it, within the, the promotional products world, I don't know if the, the numbers change, but it's like at least 50% of their revenue for promotional products distributors comes from promotional apparel. So those guys are purchasing a lot of product and they're doing purchasing a lot of printing, right? That's a huge source of, of business for us to this day. Got it. So that's one. Um, merchandising firms, primarily in the music space, that was um, a good part of our business. There still is, the, you know, that that industry has gone through a lot of changes, consolidation, etc. There's probably still a good amount of opportunity. I know a lot of companies, a lot of print shops are still that's their primary source of business. Fashion streetwear, you know, um, retail lines. Uh, that's kind of the other uh, market that we started surfacing and still do to this day. Got it. Interesting. Okay, let me let me go back to 08 again because uh, I, I want to focus on that as I find that's interesting. And you talk about growing through that period. Mm -hmm. How was that? You know, how, like how did you how did you make how, how were you able to do that and still be able to grow and um, and expand the company during that time? There's nothing like um, having a fire lit under your house, you know, which sure. a, a crazy economic downturn uh, like that and the fears that, um, that that arise, it's like you spring to action really, really quick because you've got employees, you've got an operation, you've got a family at home, you need to support everybody. So just that that incentive alone is yeah. enough. You know, being literally just, you know, acting out of fear can actually be a good motivator. Um, it's not the best motivator always, but it can be at times like that. So spring to action. We were at a point where, um, for a long time, we'd kind of generally been at capacity, so we were kind of comfortable where we were. We started started seeing a drop in business pretty quickly, and it's like, put your sales and marketing hat on. You know, I started doing like, that's when in '09 we we invested a good amount of money into a trade show booth. We had this beautiful custom trade show booth built and went to the PPAI show. Go out and hustle. Go out and get new customers. Present. Do like that's the time to like put the money into marketing uh, marketing and sales efforts, right? And so that's what we did. Went through, started calling every customer past and present. So even customers that weren't working with us, it's like, what can we do to start working with you again? It just forces you to go out and hustle basically. Sure. Yeah. Interesting. So, so it was marketing, it was the trade show booth at PPAI you mentioned, just really hopping on the phone and doing what I'm sure you would have done yeah. when you first started too. Yes. And it's like we're, you know, at that point, like we were less of an oil tanker than we are now, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, there are much, much larger operations and, and bigger businesses uh, in our in our industry than motion textile. But um, it's it's more difficult to do it, you know, to 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 change and pivot and and um, redirect when you're a larger organization. At that point, we were so small. It's like we're we're not an oil tanker. We're a little speedboat, and we can turn, you know, change direction very quickly, rapidly, and implement new services and go after new markets and new customers very quickly. You know, being small and being nimble and, and effective is, is, was really what kind of carried us through that time. And Got it. Up. 
That's interesting. Are you actually talking also about financially? Like you just had lower overhead as well to, to help make those changes quicker? Um, you know, obviously, you yeah, I mean, about was, now being was, a lot bigger. That was one of the only times, I think there's been two times in the company's history where we've had to lay people off. And uh, we got really, really lean during that time as well. I mean, um, my wife came back into the business. She and I basically ran the entire company, the entire office, you know. So she was doing all the administrative work, the majority of the accounting work. I was doing all the pre-press work, smaller footprint. So it's like I had this perfect, you know, from pre-press out to the production floor was like a very short walk and like things just were extremely efficient. So. I was handling all the sales efforts, all the marketing, everything. Get we, we got lean and scrappy again, you know. Sure. <laughs> I mean, you we talk were about... we were a small operation, but right. we, got, we 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 did we tightened up, and then we again, like I said, that's what allowed us to spend the money on a new trade show booth and doing a trade show, which, uh, as you know, is very expensive. Yes, yes. <laughs> Even doing a small booth is, is expensive. So yes, I couldn't agree more. The fifteen to twenty people, did you have to let go of half or? I don't know what we got down to. I, unfortunately, I don't remember. But um, no, we didn't. We didn't let go of half the people. Probably like I don't know. I'd say twenty percent of our of our personnel. Got it. And, and those were you. You mentioned that there were two times you guys had to do that. This was one. I mean, tell me about the other time that you guys had to so scale the other back time, and refocus. So, so we we expanded into the the, the um, facility that we're in now in two thousand twelve. 2012, 2013, and um, <laughs> a, a whole another long story that I, I wouldn't dare get into here, but we had shortly after moving and expanding into this new space, and as I'm trying to kind of like internally rebrand the company, we're going to grow up and be this mature operation, we had internal personnel implosion, if you will, that almost brought down the company. Really, really bad stuff that, you know, I, I, I wouldn't dare get into in a podcast, but yeah. we had to rebuild the company from within from a, from a personnel standpoint and it, it almost took down the company we lost a lot of business during that period when we were expecting to we had been seeing like you know 20% growth year over year and it's like we're, we're and, and now we're in this new place and it's just you know new equipment you know additional equipment it's a springboard and things kind of just imploded internally. We lost a lot of business, again, had to downsize. We, we laid a bunch of people off. Um, we actually ended up bringing most of those people back within like six months, as we, but it just, it was what we needed to do to allow ourselves a breathing room to kind of regroup and, and get control of things. Are so, there any, I won't, I won't push you on it either. Yeah. Are there any maybe tips that, that came out of that, that, you were like, okay, wow, I, I shouldn't have done this, or I could have managed this better for that not to happen, or. Yeah, I was, um, and it's always been a weakness of mine. Um, I was, my focus has always been on on the operation. Um, from a nuts and bolts perspective, um, from a design perspective, and on the product, and I've been, I've not been the best about um, about dealing with people. Right, in terms of dealing with our personnel. So I planned this whole huge um, um, expansion, right, where we were going from, we had three small buildings in a complex and we totaled 18 to 20,000 square feet 
to, like I said, moving into one big facility, 50,000 square feet. That was like my full-time job for a year, planning and, and, and actually you know, uh, doing the move of the facility and, and establishing our, our new operation. I didn't focus on people. I was out of touch with, with our personnel, with our staff. There were a lot of issues between the, um, the management that was in place and the, the production workers, et cetera, and I was completely oblivious to it. That was, that was my biggest mistake. So I, I had done all this planning and forgot to focus on the people. Interesting. Yeah. Were there things that you feel like, like having one-on-ones with more direct team members or managers or, or things that could have made you be able to see that a bit clearer? That I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is like, are there aspects that if somebody else is planning, a, you know, a much younger shop of a, a younger motion textile and they're mm-hmm. saying hey we're working on this big expansion we're doing this but oh wait tom mentioned you know make sure you are directly meeting with your team at once a month or something like that to get a better sense of what people are feeling and how things are going so bad stuff doesn't happen yeah i mean i think there's there's a lot of different ways to do it right so whether it's one-on-ones whether it's you know more more frequent uh staff all staff meetings it's that there's there's a lot of different ways that that can be done, but the end result, what, what is most important is getting the the the, the buy-in from the entire organization um, into this new. Really, what we were doing is we were trying to establish a more mature uh, company culture. Essentially, going from a garage mentality to a true kind of you know professional manufacturing mentality. I was there in my head conceptually. This is what I was planning. I didn't communicate that vision to our staff and I didn't get the buy-in from the staff and that I think in hindsight should have been you know paramount got it interesting that's very interesting you know I I personally feel like and I also know this about myself is that I don't like confrontation as much so I kind of you know we'll let things right do you feel like that was part of it too I know one guy um, that I can think of um, in this industry, um, and and he once said to me, "I love conflict," <laughs> and it's like, what the hell? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that's a terrible person who loves confrontation and conflict. You know, um, there are people who are very good at confrontation and handling it very professionally, and they're confident and comfortable in themselves. That's a great skill to have. But like, if you like confrontation and conflict, what's wrong with you? Yeah. You know. Yeah, I wonder what I wonder what his director how his director reports feel too. So, um, <laughs> do you? I, I guess I'm just curious because I'm thinking about it, and, and this is something that that I think about too. Is for self improvement. It's like, do you feel like that is why that kind of stemmed? Is like you're like, well, you know, I don't want to tell them, or it was just more so, you know, you assumed that they would be on board regardless. I assumed that I could set up this new space when customers come in here right yeah Um, or um vendors come in here it's like the space speaks for itself it really kind of like there's an aesthetic here and people see it right away employees are a little bit different you know they don't i i assumed that if i built it they would come in and they would have this you know shift in mentality and they would be they would kind of just glom onto this culture like you know, in an, in an, it didn't even have to be spoken. They would see it and they would start behaving differently, et cetera. That's not the way things work, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? 
so it's like I was sorely mistaken there. That does go a long way, you know. I mean, that's kind of like that's part of like you know, like your 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 company branding, your aesthetic, and everything. That that goes a long way. It's more effective externally. It, it has a bigger impact on your customers, on your vendors, etc., than it does on on your employees. Um, especially the you know you know maybe your higher level employees will kind of will kind of glom onto that a little bit more, but it doesn't work globally within your company. Um, you you need to like communicating culture, vision, all of this stuff is is something that is it takes it's it never ends. It's ongoing. You need to force that every single day, and that's not my strong suit at all. Yeah, you, know, um, gotcha. you know, I recently sold Motion Textile. The business and the people that I sold to are very, very strong, and uh, in in that regard, um, and they put a high priority on that. And I think that's one of the reasons why um, why we decided to do this transaction is because it. I think it was really something that was needed to get the company from where we are now to where we want to go. That's interesting. Um, yeah, that was literally what I was about to hop into, but. You know, you talk about the sale. How did that even start? Like, where was the company? Where was your head at? Like, how did that even begin to formulate? You know, like, um, and then I, I kind of want to get into the tactical stuff of it. But first, a little bit higher level of, of what you're thinking about. And how, like, did someone approach you or and then that got you thinking about it? Or, or you know, where did it begin? No, it had been in my head for for many years that eventually I would sell the company and eventually I would move on to something else um, within this industry or or otherwise. That was definitely in my head for a long time, and I knew that when that time came, it was never. This is never going to be an operation that I can say, "Okay, uh, deal's done. Here are the keys," and I walk away. As as a small business, a lot of times um, us founders and owners were just in. Were part of the DNA of the company, and so um, it's there's going to be a transition out, no matter what, and it's mm-hmm. probably going to be many many years, you know, mm-hmm. um, anywhere from one to five years or more. It was something that I always had as a goal in mind, but it was always in my head that like it's going to be a you know a, a multi year process, and so if I'm feeling like you know I want to achieve that goal sooner than later, like we we better really start thinking about it now. So I had in my head a list of the different types of companies that I thought would be a good fit for acquiring Motion Textile. As it turned out, and this happened very, very organically, the company that that ended up acquiring us was actually one of our very, I think they were customer number two for us, which is like a crazy story. (laughs) That company had been around for, uh, they're actually celebrating their 30th year in business. Second generation is now running the company. So the CEO of the company, is you know roughly my age. They actually weren't even a customer at the time, so we had parted ways as <clears throat> as customer. The businesses kind of just grew apart, meaning we were going in a di- different direction, they were going in a di- different direction, and so we parted ways amicably. <clears throat> and that was ages ago. I've always been a big believer in not burning bridges, remaining you know in in good standing with with your customers and vendors past you know of, of the past. We had always kind of kept in contact. Uh, they actually were a sales company and they started a small production operation, uh, I think about six years ago. They were looking to expand. And so the owner of the company reached out to me and said, hey, we're looking at doing a pretty large expansion. Can we come over and pick your brain? Maybe you could kind of help us with this. And I said, yeah, sure, come on over. And so we kind of toured our facility. And he said several times, like, this is the perfect facility. Like, if, 
if you guys were ever vacating here, like we would just, we would love to move right in, you know? It just got me thinking. So I, shortly after we met, I reached out hours later and called him and said, hey, I think we should talk because I think there's opportunity here. And so things just progressed from there. Interesting. And so I'm assuming you're on salary now, but they have taken over full ownership of Motion Textile? Yes. Yeah. Got it. And then was part of it, do you feel like, financially driven too, right? I mean, a lot of owners as well will take a okay salary, but would mm-hmm. like to have some sort of nice payday after spending so much time and sweat equity in the business for so long. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's that's a motivator. It's not the primary motivator for me. I mean, like I, I have always been about the product and the operation first. You know, we have a lot of room to grow here still in, in, in our current space. And as a company, they're bringing in a lot of resources and talent and different skill sets that, that I don't have or that we, we didn't have as a company. And I looked at this as like the best possible way to kind of achieve our goals as, as an organization by being acquired, essentially. Of course, financially driven, that was a big component of it. But first and foremost was like, what is best thing for this organization and for us to achieve our goals? How was the transaction of it? What, like, was it easy? What, did it take a long time? Like, the whole process from the from our first earliest days of kind of conceptualizing this, I think it took about seven or eight months. I don't know. Is is that does that sound like a like a quick process or a long process to you? You know, it's it sounds about right. I mean, these these are you know these are two larger companies, right? You guys, um, I don't see how it takes a month, two months just to purchase a home. So it's yeah, uh, you know, such a large, much larger entity. I gotta imagine is a multiplier of that. Yeah. So the funny thing is that, um, and we 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 joke about it now, but it's like. The deal that we ended up doing was like so very close to what we discussed in our earliest conversations, you know, about mm-hmm. how things would work and, you know, the dollars and cents of it. All of that was like we were basically like we were seeing eye to eye all along. And then the attorneys get involved and it's like they, they you know, are arguing about periods at the end of at the end of sentences, that type of thing. It's like <laughs> crazy. And so like the bills were just like racking up and like. He and I would be calling each other or texting each other as the attorneys are kind of like duking it out. And it's like, what the hell's going on? You know, it is amazing how like even in a deal where both sides pretty much see eye to eye and agree on like what the outcome should be, how the attorneys can get involved and and you can spend a lot of money. <laughs> yes. And a lot of it is necessary for sure, but uh, it's maybe about half of it was necessary and the other half was nonsense. Sure, so, sure. Yeah, that's very interesting. What are you able to do now, right? Because as an owner versus now, as I'm assuming, like you're a president now, or, or what's your role at Motion Textile? I, I don't have a title. Uh, I don't have a formal title, and I've I've never been a big believer. I guess you know my my formal title was president. Um, I'm no longer president, but I never really went off of that formal title anyway. My business card says chief and founder, you know, so it's like, sure. and it's, that is still sort of my role and recognized, of course, as the founder of, of the company. I'm trying to position myself as, as an internal consultant, if you will, right? So I've got a lot of experience in all aspects of the business. And my goal is like, we're redoing our company org chart right now. It's like, I don't want my name on that org chart, right? Though I'm, I'm still, you know, intrinsically 
kind of part of the company, like the place needs to run without me. And by not being, um, you know, having this very formal role in the company allows me a certain amount of perspective. And the goal is, is to continue with that so that I can truly work on the business, but with a different perspective. So we like to call it, it's being hands-on, but not in the weeds, right? So like you're able to focus on very, very granular aspects of the company that have huge impact on the company, but I'm like not so worried about getting an order out the door. Does that make sense? Sure. Obvious like big things is like, I don't have to deal with the payroll, right? Not that I ever dealt, you know, we've always had a payroll service, but like, I don't worry about making payroll. You know, I don't worry about cash flow. That infrastructure is, is in place now. Um, so I'm definitely freed up from a lot of the administrative sides of running the, the company. And that's what allows me to work on the company now. Interesting. So, so like, I there, was, yeah, go ahead on those, those. Busy and it's like, I have my projects list is like a mile long. You know, it's it's unbelievable. And by the way, it's like really taking things that, you know, solving problems in a thorough way, not just like, you know, um, a patch or, yeah, not yeah. patching. Right. Like actually solving problems and getting down to the core. Like, why is it a problem? And, you know, of course, like anytime you do that, all of a sudden you look and it's like it creates, you know, you see the need to solve 10 other problems. Right. Allowing myself the, the adequate time to like to, to put in comprehensive solutions and to work with the staff here internally, you know, make them part of that. Solving these problems and, and implementing changes and solutions, if you're doing that kind of unilaterally, you're not really gonna get the buy-in from the necessary people. So that's, again, going back to what we were talking about, like that's a lesson that I've learned the hard way. It's an interesting perspective, right? You're, you're talking about how you don't have to kind of deal with the almost lower level operational aspects and you can get more on top of the business you mentioned would you feel like you would have been able to do those things as an owner or you felt stuck in a way you know having to manage those those types of aspects so you couldn't really think about creating longer term solutions as you're working on now i want to stress what 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 i said previously like i am involved in in the company now like in the most granular way but mm -hmm. not on a getting order out the door type of way. Um, sure. We're working on a project right now, which is um, cataloging, repairing, and replacing our entire platinum inventory, right? Which is like, you can't get any more <laughs> granular than that, you know, like figuring out like, what is the best way to repair nicks and dents in all of your platins and going through and, you know, literally like taking, we have, you know, hundreds of printing platins and, at least two different manufacturers, right? And uh, again, you know, different styles, different widths, specialty platens. And it's like, we don't have those inventory or cataloged, right? So we went through this process and we've been like, we cataloged all of them, barcoded them, put them into inventory. So now we have total visibility. Now we know what we need to, to you know, we need to add on more platens to our inventory. We also need to replace a lot of broken platens. Something like that gets out of control over the years. And you can look and see it has a real impact on the printing presses, on the production employees who are working with, the, with those platens, and mm -hmm. on the overall quality, right? That's, I think, pretty granular, right? Um, but at the same time, it has nothing to do with, like, are we going to get everything out the door that needs to get out the door today? Sure, right? sure. Which, Which was more, more of your focus then. Yeah. So it's like, it's a weird thing. Like I said, hands-on, right? But you're not in the weeds of, like, if, if you're just worried about, like, 
how are we going to make our ship dates, right? You're never going to be able to, to get your hands into those, you know, in, into the nitty gritty solving problems that really have a big impact on your day to day. So I don't know, that's, that's kind of a weird concept, but yeah. I think it's super important and um, it's very satisfying to me personally. At your size, is that role like almost a, a difference of a COO to see? And, and like, I know you're not a big title type, mm -hmm. but those stereotypical types of roles, right? Is it more of like the operational person versus the... I Yeah, I think so. I think if I were ever to try to place a role, like I, I think I'm more of a CEO than a CEO for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's just interesting. I mean, we you know we talk to shops all the time, and that's a very common, as you know, uh, I don't know if it's an issue, but it's just a common thing that happens, no matter what the size is, right? Mm -hmm. And it's and it's interesting that you're talking about uh, as motion textile. How many how many um, team members do you guys have there? Well, with under the new organization, we've got uh, seventy-five employees mm -hmm. here. Okay, so pretty yeah. good size, right? And that's still something that comes up when there's ten people of focusing, trying to get things out the door, and not being able to like build uh, new training documents or new hires or something like that, right? Okay. It's just interesting that that you talk about that, and it still happens at at such a different size. Yeah. Yeah, everything that we're working on right now is geared towards, you know, being um, an organization of 150 because we've got the opportunity to double in size actually fairly quickly, not making the same mistake that I had made before. We're, we're focusing on people and on um, on the operation to a different degree than we had ever done before. So that's going to create the foundation for growth and, you know, doubling in size uh, and, and hopefully more beyond that. So That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome, Tom. I really appreciate kind of getting into the nitty gritties and, and sharing all the details. I, I know folks will be able to find that very helpful. Any anyone or leader or um, you know business owner or book that you're reading or someone you're following that that you can share? A new one comes to mind. I, uh, Marco Pierre White, um, famous world famous uh, British chef. He was like. The youngest um, three Michelin starred British chef, uh, or chef, the, the youngest three Michelin starred chef ever, and I think the first three Michelin starred chef out of Britain. I've been reading a lot about him, uh, watching a lot of videos uh, uh, with him. He's got amazing insights into building an organization and operating at a very, very high level, both in terms of the size of his organization and the um, attaining these extreme levels of quality and maintaining that. So. He's been phenomenal. And then actually, uh, Carl Lagerfeld just recently passed away. Um, he was uh, both the creative director for uh, Chanel and Fendi in his 80s, still working like a madman. His story is, is pretty amazing. Uh, there's a lot to learn there. So I, I, I tend to go way outside of our industry for inspiration. I think that's awesome. And who is the first person's name? So I can write that down too. Marco Pierre White. He was Pierre like, White. he's famous for, like, Gordon Ramsay trained under Marco Pierre White. He's famous for making Gordon Ramsay cry. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, Huge accomplishment. Uh, I'm sure that wasn't his goal, but they were, you know, working under, under very, very harsh, brutal conditions. Restaurant industries, actually, I think there are a lot of parallels between um, uh, textile screen printing operation and, uh, and a restaurant. So, uh, again, totally separate industry, but you can learn a lot from 
uh, from that industry. Right, right. Oh, you know what? Before I forget, yeah. give a shout out. You know, you're you're one of the guys who helped start In Kitchen. We had yeah. Rick on the show before too, but um, just talk about In Kitchen. This is super awesome. As I see you guys, especially at the trade shows, and just yeah. really giving out a lot of amazing content. What's yeah. In Kitchen about? Where can people find so more the, info? The In Kitchen was kind of like a fun hobby um, blog site that was started um, really by my good friend Rick Roth of Mirror Image, who. Um, Gosh, they've been in business for 40 years, and um, Rick is an industry legend. <laughs> and yeah. uh, they they were, you know, Mirror Image won every possible award there was to win, um, you know, back in the 90s. And uh, he's a great person and a great personal friend. He and I were at, um, I believe it was at the SGIA show in um, Orlando probably back in 2013 and we were just talking about like how it'd be kind of fun to have a blog site where like like sharing like candid information right with the rest of the industry and like you know sharing the cool stuff but also sharing a lot of the hardships and failures he had come up with uh with the name the ink kitchen right and we said like we should do this we we, we ran with it again it's kind of just been like a little side project hobby that we've done for a number of years his wife pam actually got involved with it and she's kind of our social media guru and so now with the three of us working together we actually are turning it into a more legitimate um what will ultimately kind of be a, uh, an industry news site media company. We're doing a lot at the shows now. We're working, we have a partnership with Impressions, so we're doing their series of shop talks, which is um, interviews on the trade show floor at the ISS shows. Just recently did it at ISS. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. The, yeah, the response has been really good. Nice big space. It's been a really, really fun experience, and I think a lot of people have gotten a lot out of it. And we're talking not so much with you know the the industry gurus that we all know and love, but um, more so with you know people who are running print shops day to day, or embroidery shops, etc. People who don't generally get out and speak in front of our industry. We hope to, to grow that. And then it's very much in, in spirit with the uh, with the in kitchen, um, um, uh, with the site, with with our philosophy. Um, candid information, real world information from our industry for our industry. So, uh, inkitchen.com. Um, Thank you. You can see all the shop talks videos there. That's awesome. That's perfect. I was just looking at the Instagram too. It's just the talking space that you guys had at Long Beach was really, really cool. So that's what caught my eye before. And Thank you. although I was running around a bunch, but it looked really cool. I'm going to watch these after as well. Awesome. Awesome, Tom. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate all the good info and just spending some time with us this morning. Yeah, thanks, Bruce. All right. Have a good one. Take care.